It's the 22nd of August. Ryan and I are now one year older than we were last time we recorded. And this is the fifth episode of the FBR cast. And we're dedicating it to Jennifer Lawrence. Sunlight will betray you. But it move from shade to shade. Stay low, keep your head down. It's dried up with a bed. Welcome to the FBR cast, the official podcast for fantasybookreview.co.uk. My name is Josh. And my name is Ryan. And it's time to look at all that has happened in the world of and around fantasy books for the past, fast, past, fast, past, past, past fortnight. Wow. Um, You're really struggling tonight. Yeah, and I only just started drinking. <laughs> While I keep drinking, what are you drinking? Um, I'm drinking Grolsch. It's a premium lager imported from Holland. Quite Did nice. you import it from Holland? I didn't import it from Holland. Someone else did, and I just went oh, to the yeah. bottle and bought it myself. Oh. That story would have been nicer if you if you'd imported it from Holland yourself. You had like a whole case back back in the back room or something. <laughs> I am drinking a um, James Squire 150 Lashes Pale Ale. And it's very nice. That's a that's a great choice. Um, I'd recommend James Squire to any drinker of beer. Mm, very nice. Um, now jumping on past the um, the bomb in our script, which is meant to um, for just Ryan and me, really. Um, let's look at the weekly news, and there hasn't been a lot of news the last little while, has there? Uh, I don't think there's been a lot of announcements. There haven't hasn't been a lot of news. It's there's been a lot of people promoting their upcoming books. Um, mm. Yeah, especially um, Mark Lawrence with um, King of Thorns. I've seen that everywhere. Stephen uh, Erickson seems to be publishing a new episode of um, Forge of Darkness pretty much every week over at Tor. I just I, 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 I think they're up to number five now. Yeah, and I, I think I've heard Adam Christopher, the author of Empire State, his his new book, um, The Seven Wonders, is coming out in a few weeks, and I've heard him on about three podcasts now, three different podcasts. So there's a lot of people doing a lot of promotion work um, around the blogosphere. So mm-hmm. good stuff, and for good reason, I guess, because coming up in the um. November of this year, there it is in November in Toronto. The um the World Fantasy Convention is happening um, over the weekend of November first to fourth. Fourth, we've mentioned this already because Alan Garner and George R. R. Martin will be receiving Lifetime Achievement Awards at the convention. But at the same time, um, at the same uh, award ceremony, um, there is the World Fantasy Awards, and there is a long list of nominees currently. Um, published by the World Fantasy Convention that um, came out pretty soon after we last recorded. Um, and there's some good names on here and some very uh, expected names. Yeah, um, for best novel, we've got Those Across the River by Christopher Buhlman. I I haven't heard of this book, so that's probably one surprise for me. Have you heard of this, Josh? No, no, I, I haven't heard a word of it. But then again, I, I often don't hear about all of the the ones that are nominated for awards I often have a, a bit, bit of a different focus 
Yeah. I've I've heard of the uh rest of the nominees though. Uh second is eleven twenty two sixty three by Stephen King, the book about the young man who goes back in time to stop JFK from being assassinated. Uh I I'm still yet to read that, but Lee assures me that it's an awesome book and that I need to get onto it. Yeah, it's sitting on my shelf next to Reemdy, which I still haven't finished, and the Steve Jobs biography. So, you know, once I have time. Um, also on there is A Dance with Dragons by George R. R. Martin, unsurprising. Um, that's going to be on some lists for a while to come now. Um, another book I haven't heard of uh, is called Osama by uh, Lavi Tidar. Have you heard of this one? Uh, yeah, I have. Uh, I, I only heard of it because I picked up his uh, Sherlock series from Angry Robot Books. Right, um, I remember you talking about him then. Yeah, and and I, I yeah, so I got onto him through Angry Robot Books and I haven't read Asama yet, but everybody's raving about how good it is and it seems like yeah, for this award it's going to be between him um a dance a dance with dragons uh Eleven twenty-two sixty-three, and uh, the other nominee, which is among others by Joe Walton. I think those four nominees are so close that no one has any idea who's going to come out with the award. Yeah, I think this will be a really interesting um, award to see where it goes, to see what the um, what the favourite is, because th- there's a few different types of book in there, and it'll be interesting to, to see how it all fleshes out at the end. Yeah, among others, has been getting universal praise um, across the board with the Hugos and you know, all various award shows. Um, so I'm, I'm probably going to tip among others to win, but I don't know, the amount of talk I've heard about Osama, you know, it, it could be the dark horse that takes a victory for best novel there's obviously a heap of other categories novella short fiction anthology collection artist special award professional and non-professional and it, it, it it's worth a look to see who is um being rewarded for their work but also to see what you might want to read next because it's often fun to keep abreast of the what at least the critics are um listing as the best work. Is there anything else in this list that you've read or that you've heard of that has really caught, caught your attention? Um, the only other one that's really caught my attention is the novella A Small Price to Pay for Birdsong by K.J. Parker. Uh, I've been a big fan of K.J. Parker's for years with the Fencer Trilogy, the Engineer Trilogy and the new novel Sharps, which is sitting on my bedside table. Um, and so seeing that he or she, that no, no one knows whether KJ Parker is a male or a female. Um, but yeah, it's good to see that KJ Parker is finally getting some recognition and is up for an award, at least in the event in the novella category. Yeah, I've heard the name a lot, and it's nice to have some intrigue back in the fantasy world. Um, Some new news coming out of um, the publishing house, I think it'll be Orbit, um, or... Nope, sorry, it's Subterranean Press. I should probably read these full web pages before I speak, but is the news that um, Robin Hobb 
will be releasing a, um, a novella um, with Subterranean Press uh, called The Willful Princess and the Piebald Prince. And for anyone who's read The uh, the Elderlings Realm by Robin Hobb, the, the series of, um, what, there's probably not uh, 12 novels now, um, the the name Piebald Prince will be pretty familiar to you. Have you have you read Robin Hobb, Ryan? Uh, I'm going to lose some serious fantasy credit here, but I've read the first one in the live ship Traders. Is it um, The Fool or Fool's Errand or um, something like keep that? Keep talking and I'll go find it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I... It's one of the... Robin Hobbs, one of those authors that I know I should have read. Um, I should have read years ago. Um, Ship of Magic. I own, yeah, Ship of Magic. Um, I know that I should have been reading all of her stuff, really. Um, Lee Lee raves about Robin Hobb. Uh, I think he's got a little crush. And, we both um, do. We 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 <laughs> both Lee and I bonded pretty pr- pretty heavily early on in our relationship. Um, at FBR over our love of Robin Hobb and, and pretty much how we thought that she was probably one of the best writers ever to come out of the fantasy world for the um, the nine books at the time, um, Farseer Trilogy, Live Ship Traders Trilogy and the Tawny Man Trilogy, um, but primarily for Live Ship Traders. Um, in my opinion, she's dropped a little bit in... Um, her cachet has dropped a little bit because of the, the Soldier Sun Trilogy and the... Um, and the following on with the the Rainworld's Chronicles, I didn't um, love them, and I'd like I'd like to get back to read them. I think it'd be um, enjoyable to enjoy the books, but at the time I was reading it, I I just thought that she'd lost something. But um, this new novella is it's going to be interesting because the um, the, the Piebald Prince is brought up time and time again um, in Fitz's world, so the first and last trilogies. And I'll read out the the first paragraph of the blurb because um, it kind of helps put him in perspective for those who who remember the name but can't exactly remember him. One of the darkest legends in the realm of the Elderlings recounts the tale of the so-called Piebald Prince, a witted pretender to the throne unseated by the actions of brave nobles so that the Farseer line could could, could continue untainted. Now, the truth behind the story is revealed through the account of Felicity, a low-born companion of the Prince Caution at Buckkeep. And I'm really looking forward to this because it's taking it back to the... Um, kind of the, the, the starting point um, for Ro- for Robin Hobb and her, her Realm of the Elderlings a ser- series of novels. Oh, I'll have to take your word for it. Um, <laughs> I... Can't I can't see myself getting around to any of these books in the near future. Uh, the only name that I recognise on there is uh, the Assassin Fitzchivalry. Uh, that's about it. Yep. Oh well. One day maybe. But then again, there are so many books that we have to read. And another book that we're going to be reading, I imagine, when it comes out, is um, The Winds of Winter by George R. R. Martin. And in an interview that he um, that he that he's done over the the past fortnight, I I don't know exactly what date it was, 
but it was done with the website westeros.org, I think. He um, has stated that he's now completed 200 semi-finalised manuscript pages for the Winds of Winter, as well as a further 200 pages in draft form. Now, when fans of an author cling on to news such as this, with such avid curiosity, you can tell that he's got a pretty decent fan base. Yeah, um, it'll it'll come out when it comes out, and these little teasers are probably only coming out because he gets put under so much pressure to give us a status update every five seconds. Uh, he's making progress. Uh, yeah, he normally does thousand-page manuscripts, so two hundred. Yeah, he's getting close, but yeah, he's a fifth fifth of the way through really and and as you said we're going to get it when we get it um as we've been told often george rr R. martin is not our bitch <laughs> and i think it's perfectly justifiable as well i i'll i'll be happy when i get the book i haven't even read dance with dragons yet so i don't really need uh this this new one winds of winter anytime soon um this came at the same time this news came at the same time as um hbo announced that they'd found their um shooting location for river run um the uh, ancestral castle of house tully um river run is going to be um set at gosford castle in county amach or or some irish pronunciation like that it's a um it's a town. It, 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 sorry, it's a county in um, Northern Ireland, and um, and so it'll be. Look, there's a beautiful photo of it, and it looks perfectly like it could be River Run. Um, good for them. <laughs> it's one of the things that the HBO series has done very well is the location scouting. I think Absolutely. right from that very first trailer that we saw with the guys marching towards the wall or just beyond the wall through the snow. And I'm not sure about you, but everything that I saw from the first season of Game of Thrones was almost exactly how I pictured it to look when I was reading. It's probably the advantage of having George R. R. Martin being so descriptive with his prose in every single scene. Like he he takes the time to describe everything in so much detail and that's and that's probably why people either love him or they hate him it's you know i love the way that you're just so vivid with your imagery or i hate the way that you're so vivid with your imagery you're so vivid with your imagery just get to the story please i just want to see someone kill someone else yeah (laughs) but that's a book that's about a tenth of the length and no one in their right mind wants george R. r martin to to stop doing that he's got such a beautiful feel for the world that he's writing in that you want him to tell you about it you want you want to be able to see those places that he's going to in his imagination yeah i i can't see myself picking up the winds of winter anytime soon even if he releases it next year i i just it's kind of like steven erickson i the amount of time that I know I'm going to have to devote to <laughs> reading reading lists, I mean, it took me so long to get through A Feast for Crows. It took me nearly four or five months to get through that because Ooh, it, was, it was dense, it was slow. It's, it's probably my least favourite of the five that are out. A Dance of Dragons was a lot better, but 
yeah, A Feast for Crows was just slow and tedious, and I'll I'll always remember that. And it, yeah, it's going to affect just, everything from then on. Yeah. One author that I don't think we could probably um, fault for making a book hard to read is uh, one of our favourites, Scott Lynch, and he's got a new blog. Yeah, uh, part of his re-emergence back into the world is professionalising his site once again. He's given up the live journal uh, that he used to post underneath and has created a blog which he has attached to his website um, it's at scottlinch.us forward slash blog um, it's not much different to his live journal post except that it's not a live it's journal a bit prettier and a, yeah it's not on live journal it's a bit prettier he can actually play with the um, HTML code and the CSS and turn it into something more personal than what live journal is and yeah um and can i just I think it's say a again start, that it's but... no longer at live journal because it's no longer 1998 um so thank <laughs> heavens go on sorry i don't like live journal yeah i i think this is a positive step forward for him for those who haven't been aware um scott lynch has been battling depression and anxiety for a number of years now. Uh, it's the reason why Republic of Thieves just got shelved for so long. It's that he just he couldn't leave the house. His marriage broke down, and he had a really rough time of it. But he's starting to get through that now. He's coming back out into the world. He's got a new girlfriend, um, the decorated fancy author Elizabeth Bear. Um, yeah, things things are looking up for him, and Republic of Republic of Thieves is not far away. He he said in one of his first posts on the new blog that yeah it's not personal and that he said it several times. But don't take any of the dates on any of the book distributors like Amazon and Barnes and Noble to be hard dates. Um, the date that Republic of Thieves comes out will be the date that he publishes online whenever it's ready to go. I'm looking forward to that day because um, his his first two books are fantastic, but that being said, to, to echo something we've already said about George R. R. Martin, Scott Lynch isn't our bitch either, and um, suffering from depression myself, I know exactly how um, debilitating it can be sometimes, and so if a guy needs to, to take time... Um, especially someone who's so much in the public spotlight as an author is, um, so beholden to their fans, um, take all the time you need. And um, and and especially with this blog, you know, it's great to see him actually stepping back, it, back out into the world and, and using this blog as a way to sort of process some of the crap that he's going through. Yeah, so Republic of Thieves, um, it, could, it could be out any time. I don't think it's going to be out... This year, we had hope, high hopes at the start of this year that it would be out around about November, December, but I'm thinking we're looking at maybe mid-2013, and and that's all right. I, it's been a long time since Red Seas under Red Skies, and uh, it probably gives us enough time to go back and do a reread before oh, be nice. Republic, of Thie- Republic of Thieves comes out. That'd be nice. I might actually do that one day. 
moving on, uh, Forbes has revealed the list of the two thousand of two thousand eleven's top earning authors. So this is not two thousand and twelve's. This is not going to have E.L. James and her Fifty Shades books. We won't see that till next year. Yeah, and I wish we won't uh, see it then either. <laughs> no, we'll, we'll see it at the top. I think she'd be surely she'd be close to fifty million. Surely, <sighs> she's made twenty million in Australia. Sigh. So, looking at this list, and it's very, very heavy on the thrillers and the dramatic uh, books that are way outside of our genre. Um, the the first author of note in the at least the speculative fiction genre is Stephen King, having earned thirty nine million over the past twelve months. Not too shabby. Not too shabby at all. Um, the rest of the list continues on for a little while, actually. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. We get. We have to wait until the ninth um, contributor to see Suzanne Collins, the author of um, the Hunger Games books, um, and sadly Bill O'Reilly manages to beat her out, and that just proves there's there's no justice in this world. Suzanne Collins <laughs> makes it out with twenty million. Um, I, I would I would expect Suzanne Collins' total to jump up significantly in the 2012 list, yeah, only I think, because I think, the Hunger I Games think we movie can safely, came out. I think we can yeah. safely say that uh, Suzanne Collins is going to stay in this list for the next three years as her movies make it out to the to the big screen. Yeah. Um, next, we have at number 11, J.K. Rowling. Still in the list, still one of the top earners um, at 17 million, and she'll skyrocket again when a casual vacancy comes out. Is it the end of this year? I think so. Yeah, either that or yeah. the beginning of next year. Then we got George R. R. Martin at number 12 with 15 million. Who's, um, who's going to stay in that list as well with uh, the HBO series just yeah. continuing to dominate and ga- gather more viewers and subsequently more readers. Stephanie Myers starting to fall away, having not released a book in a long time. Thank the good um, the, the Host movie may, when that comes out, I think it's next year, that might see a spike in the sales of The Host. Um, but, yeah, I think unless she brings out another teen vampire romance, she'll, she may be making way for a few of the newer authors coming through. We can only hope so. I I read the Twilight series and I can appreciate why it resonated with so many people. I'd like to um, point out to the listeners that um, nowhere in that sentence did Ryan say he liked the series or say that it was good writing, only that he could appreciate why it resonated. <laughs> I Okay, I, I liked Eclipse, the third one. Okay. I didn't like the other three. But Do you happen to have Eclipse, a wife that made you read these books? Uh, she made me read the first one. You voluntarily wrote, read on? I voluntarily read on, yeah. You're a better man than it was, I am. It was probably more guilt. It was probably more guilt than anything, but... Oh, that's a fair point. Eclipse... Eclipse... <laughs> Eclipse was um, the, the Twilight book for guys, I think. <laughs> that was... There was very little romance, and... Lots of werewolf versus vampire fighting. 
that was the whole the whole book was very much a getting your armies together for a war between the werewolves and the vampires. So that was you know I liked that one. I thought it was good. But then get back into the fourth book and it was crap. Yeah, I got about three chapters into the first book, realized that I was going to end up sl- slitting my wrists if I continued on, and then went and watched the movies because I like the movies. Because the movies give me Stephanie Meyer's imagination uh, without me having to deal with her writing style and um, and the focus on writing for 12-year-old girls. Yeah. Uh, the last one on the list from the fantasy uh, point of view is Rick Riordan, the author of the Percy Jackson series and the whatever his um, new series is about the gods of Olympus. Um, they're, they're quite entertaining books. Uh, the movie Percy Jackson and the Lightning Thief was very entertaining and he's been rather prolific in the last few years. So, yeah, I can I can see his name staying in this list for a few years to come. Although, while he might, may have been prolific, he's definitely not as prolific as the first person on this list, James Patterson, who apparently published 14 new titles in 2011. Um, I think that's that's prolific. Yeah, I haven't read any James Patterson, and I'm probably not going to, but I've heard a lot about him, same as I've heard a lot of the other authors on this list are Janet Ivanovich and John Grisham and Nora Roberts and Danielle Steele. I've, I've heard a lot about those authors, but yeah... They're in they're in genres outside of fantasy, so I don't care. Yeah, well, that's pretty much how I feel. I wish I didn't see Bill O'Reilly's name in there. He's a he's a very um, loud Fox News news anchor, and that says it all. That's that's why he's there. Now, what, one of the questions that we get asked uh, fairly often um, when people email into uh, Fantasy Book Review or the website. Um, at fbrblog.com is uh, why do we review so highly? Why are all our reviews um, for books so high towards the, the the scale on the 1 to 10 scale? They're always really high. And we thought we'd actually take the time to explain that. Yeah, uh, I I took an average of all of my reviews the other day. I think I'm, I'm up to about 50 on the site. And my average is sitting at around 7.98. So of the yeah, the 50 books that I've read, there's a pretty good chance that you're going to get around a 7 or an 8. I'd say that's uh good odds for anyone looking for a review. Yeah, I I think so. Uh, yeah, there's there's the odd outlier in there. There's um there's a 4 and a 3 um and there's there's even a 10 in there now. But yeah, most of my most of my reviews seem to hang around that seven point nine uh, to eight sort of mark. Uh, how about you, Josh? I um, didn't know that there was homework that I had to do uh, to work out how much I. <laughs> I'm just putting you on the spot, yeah, but and and sh- and showing off to make everyone realise how much extra work you do for this show. Now, I um I'd like to um hit back and say, well, I've written just under 250 reviews for the site, so finding out my average is a little bit harder. I think I could probably say though that um my average is probably around the eight, 
Mark, um, well, and... Let's, let's take a look at your five previous reviews. Uh, Prince of Dogs by Kate Elliott got a 9. King's Dragon by Kate Elliott got an 8.5. Rise of uh, Tigerthen by, yeah, yeah. by James Barclay got a 9 out of 10. The Minority Council by Kate Griffin got an 8.5 out of 10. And The Long Earth by Terry Pratchett got a 9.3 out of 10. That's um, Okay, but normally my <laughs> average is... <laughs> uh, if I keep going down, you've got, let's you've not, got a let's 7. Not. How about we 8.5, 8.5, 9.8, 9, 8.5, 8, 9. 9.4. <laughs> There's a lot of high reviews in there. Yeah, I, I, um, I have a really decent reviewing method I, I no one cares but I'd yeah. like to actually the, the la... <laughs> go on oh, I was say the I finally found one here um, a 5 out of 10 and that was showdown at center point by Roger McBride Allen a Star Wars universe which novel. pretty much says it all um, I've of, I've often thought about this because you know we're supposed to be impartial and, and reviewing books and and helping people to find out what they want to read and all of that. And I I finally came to the realisation, I'm not going to read a shit book. Now, I I, I don't understand why people um, don't get this, but I'm not actually willingly going to pick up a book that looks really crap. Um, And so already I've biased myself away from obviously... Uh, lousy books. Well, we're already biased because we're reading in the fantasy genre, and we're which re- is yeah. a genre that we have been reading for years and we know that we love. So chances are, yeah, there's a very high chance that any book that we read in this genre, we're going to like in some way, shape or form. If you then apply a publisher to that, that you know, acts as that bastion of quality, the person who, you know, if a book comes out via a known publisher, a well-known publisher, a publisher with a good reputation, then even if you don't like the book or like the content, you know that it's going to be written well or you know, 99% of the time it's going to be written well, put together well, have nice cover art and overall be a quality package and then if you don't like it it's a it's not because of the quality of the book it's just a personal taste thing we're well past the days now where people are just putting out any old crap to um to to get on the shelves um even um genre fiction well no that's that's i don't i don't mean to bash on indie authors as especially um given that I'm going to be having a short story out via an independent press in the not-too-distant future. So I I understand the importance of the independent authors, but the ability now with the internet and with e-books to get something online, you, you could just type up a document right now and jump onto Smashwords and you could have that document on Smashwords, Amazon, and iTunes, and any number of online bookstores, yeah, with within a matter of moments. Um, no, no quality checking, no anything. Um, that that's how easy it is to get something on the bookshelf now. And 
and it's sort of it's tarnishing the reputation of um, indie authors. Uh, well, not just that, but it's also I think the publishers have figured out a model that helps them to keep selling books, and that's to say, well, if you buy an indie book, you never know what you're going to get, but if you buy something from us, you know it's going to be good. And I think I'm very comfortable reading in that ballpark. I don't spend a lot of time reading indie authors because the amount of books I have from the um, the big-name publishers is enough for me at the moment. Anyway, I, I don't need the, the indie authors to, to fill out that quiet time that I have. I don't get quiet time, trust me about it. Um, what's interesting, though, is even those, um, like, the genre books series like uh, Star Wars, Star Trek, even uh, down to the World of Warcraft books, even those books now are a pretty decent quality compared to what they were back in the 90s when they were just throwing out another book a week just to get people buying Star Trek books off the shelves. These days, the publishers, no matter what they're um, publishing, they want quality, and they've got enough time and, and enough people submitting um, because this digital age, it's it's wonderfully easy to submit to a publisher. Um, they've got the time and, and the flexibility to say, nope, you're no good, nope, you need to uh, work on that more, yes, you are polished, we can polish that a bit more and publish it and it'll be a good book. And as you said, even if the, the author, the, sorry, the, the reader doesn't necessarily take to the storyline, you can be guaranteed fairly much that it's going to be well written. So that's, that's, that's one of the reasons that um, we end up with books reviewed so highly. Um, because I think in, in, in that way it also um, means that when you do review lower, you're actually making a, a point um, about maybe you want to avoid this one, whereas the higher review system in the 7s to 10s, you've got people uh, looking at that and saying, oh, this person really enjoyed it. Now, we're not professionally trained critics on the site we're not looking um you know three layers deep at, like you might in a in a university course or something like that or a, as a critic does pretty much for a living and we're coming at it a little bit more from the enjoyment level which is you know why ryan said that we're re we're reviewing in a genre that we love we're already biased towards a, a higher um score because these are the books that we like to read that's why we're here at fbr yeah, well, um, I know I know my reviewing style has has changed a lot since I first started with FBR. But my my goal when I'm reviewing now is to give the readers an idea upfront of whether I enjoyed it or not and why I thought it was enjoyable, and then the rest of the word picture that I have is about you know, the the readers who need a bit more detail, the guys who are like, okay, you said you enjoyed it, now tell me about the characters or tell me about the plot or tell me about their style of writing um, and, I'll, and I'll make comments about all that. But then with the rest of that body, I also want to give something back to the author and say, hey, look, this is what worked for me and this is what didn't work for me. And if you're going to be publishing something in the future then you know, maybe if you work on these three things, then 
it'll work better for me and the people who have similar tastes to me. And one thing that you'll note that you didn't hear in Ryan's description of what he used is a summary of the book. One of the things we've been doing at FBR over the past few years is attempting to stray away from just giving a, a summary of the book, which, first of all, you can find anywhere online because everyone does them. And also there's the blurb on the back of the book. That's what it's there for. The review of the book is not supposed to summarize the book so you don't have to read it. The, the review is supposed to engender you towards wanting to read it yourself, so providing um, examples from within the book of why you enjoyed it. I've talked to Lee about this a few times now, about how our scores are always on that high sort of level and that we can we can average them at around seven and that we have a lot that go over and um, you know, not too many that go seven and under. Um, we, we've had a few chats about why that is and uh, I, I think it'd be great to get Lee on here um, maybe in the next few weeks to uh, get his point of view on reviewing and scores and um, where, where he thinks it's all heading because I mean, I, I've broached the opinion to him that why, why do scores matter? And it's probably something that we can talk about now. Do you think that a seven out of ten means anything to anyone? I can I can understand that these high these high scores, these numerical scores, are what attract the initial attention of people. And so, if if you're an author, I mean, I'm starting to go through this now when I'm I'm looking at publicising um, my the short story that's um, coming out in the anthology. I'm starting to publicise that, and I'm thinking, God, if I get if I get enough five star reviews on Goodreads, or if I get a really good average for the book on Goodreads, then it's going to get publicised more. When if people go browsing to it and they go, Oh, look, this has got an average of say 4.5, then oh, it, a lot of people must have thought this was a good book. So. I I can see the importance of scores, but yeah, when yeah when when we're never when we're rarely giving books lower than five, like, I I've only seen one or two books in the past six months that have been under five out of ten. Um, yeah, it's it sort of brings into question. Um, what is what is the point of the review score? Because everybody's getting around about the same review, uh, it's getting around about the same score. I think the review score it definitely has its place, obviously, because it's been around for long enough, and and therefore people are gonna keep referring to it. It's a good way to um, have a quick look at a book. Um, for example, um, the the five star review on Amazon. All you got to do is look up the top, see how many reviews there have been, and what the general score is. And if it's high, then yeah, all right, I'll have a look at the reviews. If it's low, oh, I'm not going to go look at the reviews at all. I'm just going to hit the back button and go look for something else. What's interesting though is that you'll find that publishers, I don't think, care much about the end score. I know the author probably does because if it's low, then they're going to go slit and slit their wrists. But if it's Hi, well, I mean, nobody cares what the pub publishers care about. What the publicists care about is the pull quote. They want that quotable line that they can pull out of a, a review that effectively sums up that review as 
view of the book that they can then throw onto the inside cover or the back cover or the front cover of their the author's new book and it's interesting to bring up the idea of well do we need the the rating score at all especially on a um a place where we don't have that mass of um community input like amazon does with their reviews yeah um I've seen a couple of uh, review sites around now that are trying to steer away from giving their books a star rating or giving it a score out of 10. Um, they, they're just doing a deconstruction of the book to start with and then a recommendation, a should you read this right now, should you put it to the top of your um, list, should you be putting it on your bedside table or you know, should you... Get it now and um, leave it on your shelf for a rainy day once you've finished better books. And that that's the tact that they're starting to go with now is a, um, this is what I thought of the book and this is um, the priority that you should place on reading it. Yeah, I think that's a, it's a helpful way and it, it's sort of what I try to do at the end of my books anyway is to give a bit of a uh, sorry not my books my reviews is to get is to give a bit of a recommendation you know would you read it would you read it right now is it for this type of reader is it for that type of reader if you've liked this book then you'll probably like this i think there's more help in that all around not just for the um the person reviewing um reading the review and wanting to know do i want to read this book but also for the author for the publicists for the publishing houses I think, you know, it, it's an interesting discussion to have. It, it's one worth having, I think. Yeah, I, I think one of the things that we have to remember is that it's not a competition and that you're not out there trying to beat anyone else. Um, I, when, I, when I'm reading a book, I'm not thinking, oh, this is, this is so much better than George R. R. Martin or this doesn't even hold... A, a candle to Stephen Erickson. Yeah, I, I'm not thinking that when I'm reading the book. I'm I'm thinking about the book itself. Yeah, am I am I able to get into it? Am I able to have fun with it? Um, does it does it entertain me? And if it does entertain me, why does it entertain me? And if I can then communicate that on the site and I can make a good recommendation to the readers about whether they should be reading it or whether they should be thinking about reading it if they've got nothing better or whether they should think about missing it entirely. Sorry about that. Um, whether they should think about missing it entirely. Um, I, that's that's what I'm trying to achieve with my reviews. It's a it's a recommendation, um, but also we're trying to we're trying to build a community of um, fantasy, uh, a fantasy community where you can you can go there and you can find a bunch of awesome fantasy books because every every single fantasy book is contributing to this massive body of work that we have within the genre and every every single book that gets a seven or better is you know an excellent addition to to the genre and you know we with so many books coming out it's not a matter of whether or not you should read it it's a matter of prioritizing the order in which you read it 
Uh, that at least that's my opinion. Uh, and I think it's a, it, it's justifiable as well. And I think the real question is, um, Wards of Fairy by Terry Brooks. Would you read it soon or not? Uh, I would, and uh, there's a bit of history behind that. I would because I've read every single Terry Brooks book on the day that it's come out in August. Every single year in August, around my birthday, he releases a new book, and it's my birthday present to go out and get his book. And I've done that now since I've been... 12, 13 years old, and when it comes out tomorrow, I'll be doing the same thing. Well, you'll be even happier to know that it came out yesterday. Uh, yeah, in, in ebook format in Australia. Oh, really? Yeah. That, that's what well, I'm looking for. I, I don't read a lot of um, paper books anymore. Um, uh, you like the ebook, do you? Yeah, the ebook's portable, and I travel a lot, so I it just makes much more sense for me to read it in ebook format than trying to lug five or six different books around in a um, you know weight limited baggage. Terry Brooks fans will be very happy that Wards of Fairy is coming out either yesterday or today or at some point in the near future or past. Um, it's the first book in the Dark Leg- Legacy of Shannara series, and. Look, I know a lot of people are going to be really impressed with this book, so I'm looking forward to hearing what they say. Um, I've I've seen a couple of reviews come out for it now. Uh, one of them um, was at A Dribble of Ink, uh, Adam Moher's um, blog, and he's been very critical of the last couple of uh, Terry Brooks' books, and similar to me, I've been quite critical of his last couple of books, and he's come out and said this is probably the best book that Terry's written in the last 10 years. Oh, that is really good to hear. And good news for Terry Terry Brooks fans as well. Coming out on August the 30th is the fifth book in Tom Lloyd's Twilight Rain series, The Dusk Watchman. Um, And coming out on September 6th is a book that I think you have recently read, actually, is um, The Corpse Rat King by Lee Battersby. Uh, Still reading that. I've got about 100 pages to go, and... I should have my review out by the release date, September the 6th. Look forward to it on fantasybookreview.co.uk. Coming out later in September, on September 13, we mentioned these three books last podcast, but we'll do so again. Uh, Terry Pratchett is putting out Dodger, a novel for children set in Victorian London. And gosh, I'm really excited for that one. The Dirty Streets of Heaven by Tad Williams is the first book in Tad's new fantasy-fueled thriller series about an afterlife investigator. And Brent Weeks fans will be very happy with The Blinding Knife coming out on September 13th as well, the second book in the Lightbringer series. Um, I haven't read much Brent Weeks since um, I think it must have been his first trilogy. Um, I haven't read any of this Lightbringer series, but um, he's he's, de- he's definitely worth the read, and I'm looking forward to one day just sitting down and having some time to read some of these lower-on-the-shelf books. Now, what we are reading, what we have been reading, you are currently reading um, The Corpse Rat King, but you're also doing some other reading. Yeah, um, I'm reading at the moment Nightfall by Will Elliott, who is an Australian author based out of Brisbane. Now, um, I'm not quite sure how to go about even beginning to describe this book. It is... 
It's a book I've never read anything like it before in my life. It is just so creative and so original, but is just so random as well. Um, I've I've written in the script here that it's it's like I'm reading uh, Will Elliot's dream. It's like he he wakes up. Yeah, you know, wakes up in the morning and writes down his dream in a dream book or a dream log that he leaves beside his bedside table, and then has collected all that and just published it. It's it's just so it's just so random, but it's so emotive as well. the The visualization is really I, don't know, I suppose you call it intense. Um, he's very first chapter is extremely dark and deals with the main character coming to terms with his own suicide. He's just woke he's just woken up in the bathtub having slit his own wrists and wants to uh, and doesn't understand why he's still alive while he why he's still awake and it is really really dark just that first chapter and then and then two chapters on you're you're laughing your head off at some of the funniest dialogue I've read in a long time and and it's just so eclectic and you jump around all over the place but it's still tied together in a with a logical plot um it's it's really hard to describe but it's so addictive and I I can't put it down and I I think uh yeah if nobody's read anything by Will Elliot before, you should definitely go out and have a look at Nightfall, or at least um, he had he had this other one, um, the Pilo Family Circus. Um, it, it won pretty much every single horror award that um, can be handed out in Australia, and yeah, he's, he's getting a lot of accolades here, and yeah, hopefully that translates into accolades overseas. Will Elliott is um, a, a big name in the new author category here in Australia, at least, and I read the first chapter of Nightfall, never got farther than um, him climbing, climbing out the window um, or the front door or something like that, um, but I, th- I think I'm going to have to go back to this one day because you, you've been raving about it for a couple of days now, and I'm, I think I'm going to have to have a bit of a read. So that's that's what I'm reading at the moment. Um, the book that I've just finished reading and uh, just reviewed is Blackwood by Gwenda Bond. Now, this is a young adult book from Strange Chemistry. Um, Strange Chemistry is the new imprint from Angry Robot Books, and it's centered around the mysterious disappearance of the Roanoke Island colony back in the late 1500s. Um, 114 people uh, just went missing out of nowhere. A, a ship went back to England um, to report back to the Queen, and when they sailed back in um, to Roanoke Island, everyone was gone. Um, everything was completely packed up, and it was like, no one had ever existed there at all, but there were some really strange carvings in all of the trees. And it's a real-life mystery that still to this day remains unsolved and will probably always remain unsolved. And, yeah, Gwenda Bond has decided to 
take this mystery head on and um, tell a YA, a YA story with um, with ghosts and uh, spirits and telepathy and um, some really interesting takes on immortality. Did you enjoy it? I, I enjoyed a lot of it. Um, I really enjoyed the start of it uh, when we were when you were first getting exposed to the mystery of the island. Um, that was a lot of fun, um, and it was it was almost like a bit of a history lesson for me as well because I don't know a great deal about American history. Um, it's definitely not one of my strong suits, and I found a lot of the stuff. Um, through my through my own research later to be um, fairly accurate. Uh, she's taken enough liberties to make the story work, um, and she definitely mentions that at the end that she took the liberties that she needed to take to make the story work. Um, and I'm I'm fine with that. Uh, the problem that I had with this book, I think, is me being an adult reading a young adult book. Um, there's very simplistic themes that, uh, really cliche in the young adult genre. Um, you've always, you always seem to have, whenever you read a young adult book, a authority figure who is stupid or a whole bunch of authority figures that, uh, very stupid or inept or incompetent and the premise of the book or one of the big themes in the book is showing that these young adults are clearly smarter and are able to outwit all of the adults. Um, it's a it's a theme that you see a lot in the in the young adult yeah in the young adult genre and it's one that if you if you don't get it right then it just makes you question a lot of things. Um, the during during the middle of the book, everything just sort of fell apart for a long time. Um, especially with this um, incompetent authority figures, they they had the FBI involved in this investigation, and I spent the whole time thinking, no, that's. That's not how the FBI would act. If you're a, if you're a field agent being sent out by the FBI, then you've got a lot of core skills that this guy is not show this guy is not showing. And if you're if you are not up to scratch in the FBI, you don't get to go out and do field work. So yeah, it's it's something that if you're a young adult, you probably eat it up. But as, as an adult, I've just got this analytical brain that's going uh, that I can't turn off, and I'm going. No, that's stupid. No, that's stupid. I does that does that young make sense? Young adult novels, young adult films, uh, films with teenagers and, and and young adults as the protagonists, as the main characters, always have that one trope of all the adults are dumb. Yeah, all well, yeah. It's you have to empower the children, and you have to empower the teenagers, and you have to create a task that only they can resolve, and it's really hard to do that without introducing incompetent adults because if the adults are at least 
partially competent, then why would it be up to the kids to save the day? Yeah, and I've seen some young adult stories do this really well. I think I think Harry Potter handles it really well. Um, there was there was another book um, that was out by Strange Chemistry that I read about a month ago, a month and a half ago, called Shift, and that dealt with um, the ability to go back to a decision that you made and um, reverse it. Um, you know, if if you turned left, what if you'd actually turned right? How would things turn out? And the way that uh, the author uh, resolved resolved that whole only only kids are able to um, save the day is that this ability to go back and change your decisions, um, it goes away once you turn um, 19, 20. Um, so, the on yeah, the only people who can go back and change decisions are the kids. And so that way they're empowered and you can still have really competent adults, but they're no match for this uh, these kids who have got a power who have got a power that's unique to them. That's a good way to do it, actually. That's interesting. Um, my turn. I I get to tell you what I've been reading and and what I'm reading at the moment. I'm I am um, finished books one and two of Kate Elliott's Crown of Stars. If you've listened to this podcast for a couple of episodes, you'll have heard my massive crush on Kate Elliott. I love everything she writes at the moment. I, I literally haven't encountered something I haven't loved. And a month or two ago, I uh, was talking to her on Twitter and saying, uh, what should I do? I want to read this new series. And she said, oh, well, I know it's not great final financial advice for me, but you should probably just buy books one and two. Read them, see if you like the series. So I got into book one, King's Dragon, and literally by page three, I was hooked. I took it out to my dad, made him read the first um, couple of pages because they were just so beautifully written and just this amazing prose descriptive beautiful language and as the book went on the the quality stayed the same and the story was just amazing and it continues straight through Prince of Dogs um, both the reviews are up on FBR at the moment I um, I love how book 2 manages to be the perfect book 2 it, it brings you along from book 1 and sends you right into book 3 um, and I just in love with this series at the moment um, but book 3 hasn't arrived yet waiting, I've got book 4 sitting over there on the shelf but it's entirely unhelpful when you don't have book 3, so I went back to one of my shelves and I found that Wolfheart by Richard A. Knack um, is a World of Warcraft book and I'm actually re I really enjoy these World of Warcraft books and with Mr. Pandaria coming out in a month's time this Saturday um I, I thought it was perfect time to sit down with this new, uh, with this the latest book. Uh, it's it's not the new one. The new one is coming out soon, but um, I'm only a, I'm only a, a chapter or three in at the moment, and I'm I'm loving it. It's got that. Um, it's obviously written for people who play the computer game World of Warcraft, and so there are some really obvious references to um, things in the game um, that don't really belong in a book but maybe belong in a book on a video game, I don't know. So it's kind of like the guild where I would enjoy reading it but if I played World of Warcraft I would enjoy it much more? 
Absolutely. Yeah, like, I mean, it, it's an enjoyable book. You'd finish it in an afternoon. It's a rainy Saturday book, definitely. Um, but if you play the game, it, it's got a lot more in it for you. If you play the game and you review books, well, it, you know, I mean, I'm obviously in a bit of a unique position because I am picking up a, a few inadequacies in the in the writing, but those inadequacies are probably real hooks for the people who play the game and don't read a lot. So definitely worth it. Um, I would recommend this to multiple levels of reader and, and fan, non-fan. Um, if, you, if you have no knowledge of the World of Warcraft universe, um, it might be a little bit difficult because y- you are just thrown in at the deep end and not in the good way that Steven Erickson does but even then it's probably you know if you're able to just ignore a couple of things that you don't understand it's probably still going to be enjoyable anyway well sounds like a great read is there anything else that you got reading anything else that's coming up on your shelf um I've got Forge of Darkness by Steven Erickson which I want to get to soon um but at the moment um my birthday books were the the Kate Elliott books that I didn't have, so books three through to seven, and so I'm really looking forward to them rocking up on my doorstep soon, so I can keep reading them. Excellent. I've I've got uh, Sharps by KJ Parker, and another new one. Uh, it's called Blood Song by Anthony Ryan, a indie indie book that has been getting a lot of airtime recently. That I really want to check out and see what it's all about. Sounds good. Uh, I think that's an hour for us and that's about all the time we've got uh remember you can find us at fantasybookreview.co.uk where you can find all of our reviews and um have a look at what you might want to read next in the fantasy genre yes and you can also find out the latest news from in and around the world of fantasy books at our blog at fbrblog.com uh Again, I've been really reticent on updating the Goodreads book club halfway through a month, so I promise this time for the start of September we'll have a book going. Um, I want to start promoting this a bit more and getting everybody's feedback for um, a book of the month. I'm thinking it's probably going to be an epic fantasy. Oh, sounds good. I know our readers and our reviewers and everybody else to make some epic fantasy you can find us on all of the social network sites well okay two um we're on twitter at fanboorev and at fbr blog um and at facebook at facebook.com forward slash fantasy book review ryan and i are also on twitter and you can follow us in our fantastically intelligent witty banter and then sometimes alistair and josh will get on there and really lower the quality um, but th- there's nothing we can do about that. Uh, you can follow us at Josh S. Hill and at Ryan L. 1986. Yeah. Uh, also, if you've got any feedback for us, if you want to get in touch with a few different articles, if you want us to discuss any opinion pieces, um, or if you even want to come on the show and um, participate with us for an episode, you can email us. Um, we're at blog at fantasybookreview.co.uk we've had a couple of emails come in recently so um, I'd like you to keep it up and let us know how we're going 
and the awesome song that we're hearing at the beginning and the end of this podcast is courtesy of Carl Burrow. The song is Stilling Horses, and you can find out all about him in our show notes. That is the end of this fifth episode of the FBI. Now um, stealing horses. Good job. I, I, I'm really enjoying this show. I hope you listen Anything to just to survive. Brian, thank you for Death will set you free. Death will set you free.